buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny Episode 7. Today we're going to chat with Two Lamb from Ronin Tactics, make a prank call to Sig Sauer, talk about TF belts, and the Energetic Armament 22 suppressor. Today's panel is Two Lamb and uh, Sean Heron from We Like Shooting, and I'm Ava Flannell. How's it going, everyone? Really good. It's right. uh, it's so early. It is early. For once, we're not drinking alcohol. We're actually drinking coffee. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I really don't know how to respond. I've never actually been on this show sober. Two, <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm enjoying this, you know, early fall season here in Colorado. I know. It's kind of depressing, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready for summer to go. This whole week, it's supposed to be like 50s, 60s, so I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm not really looking forward to it. Um, Sean, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I kind of like fall. I like I mean, winter. Uh, you know. And you have your winter weight already. Exactly. Yeah, you, you've got it too there, cookies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did have a few cookies for breakfast. Every time she eats cookies, she's like, winter is coming. I was like, I don't think that's how Game of Thrones works. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's talk about Huntack gear. All right. Talk about them. So I just finished my recent build, and um, it's beautiful. I was able to shoot it yesterday, and it just shoots really well. I'm going to post videos of it soon. Um, Two, what do you think of our this uh, this handguard? And the upper and... So the upper, the handguard, and the foregrip. It's pretty light. Yeah, I can tell you right now, just, just by feeling it, it's, it's lightweight. Um, it's very balanced. What, what kind of barrel is this? That's that, going to be a fax and pencil barrel. Right. What's the twist ratio on, on the barrel? What's the twist on it? Uh, let's see. Off the top of my head, I think it might be one seven or one eight. That's what I was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could tell right now, guys, that I can definitely drive this gun pretty fast because this thing is pretty lightweight. So. Um, yeah. Does it ever job, does it ever become a problem with uh, becoming too lightweight? Do you think, or driving it, or is it just easier to get to the from target to target and transition, uh, no matter how light it gets? Well, I mean, for for our I could speak for the military. We we put a lot of devices on our weapons, um, so that's actually changed our, our placement, our, our forward grip, uh, our drive hand on the weapon. So you can kind of see, like uh, in the military throughout the years, uh, our gunfighting style has changed to uh, to maximize the speed from driving from target to target. So mm-hmm. that's why you're starting to see more of the extended hand forward. Um, and that's uh, and once we start throwing all the devices in and everything else, it, it definitely makes the rail and the barrel um, kind of top heavy. Yeah, so. I agree. But again, made in the U.S. Huntack gear. Um, I think their design's clever, and I think you know since gun sales are down a bit, um, people are just kind of upgrading their stuff. And you know when you see stuff like this that's different and kind of breaks out of the mold of everyday ARs, I, th- I think it is pretty cool. Again, can't wait to test it some more. And, I'll let uh, you get them to the range. Uh, later on when we go to the range, I'll let you shoot mine if you'd like. Oh, really? Only a few times. Okay. You got, normally, I'm always like, hey, can I shoot your gun? She's like, no. Yeah. And yeah, you got to bring your own ammo. <laughs> no. <laughs> you okay. built that one, Ava? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not that one, but uh, there's this other one. I should have brought it with me. It's actually, it's at my dad's uh, at the range right now, but but I built it. And it's it both, I have two ARs now that I've built, and they both are like under five pounds. It's crazy. I could shoot. A, I could shoot both of them with one hand. Oh wow! That's yeah, great. and I mean, especially for me because mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm kind of petite. Although those cookies are catching up with me. <laughs> <laughs> gear.com, H-U-N-T-A-C gear.com. Use coupon code GUNFUNNY10 to get ten percent off your entire order. Whether you're building, buying, whatever you want, they've got it. And check out their hunting gear too. Some pretty cool stuff as well. Uh, let's get into the get into the show. Deconstructing the Industry. All right, so two. Um, so really, you, you have quite the um, modern-day American story. Do you want to tell the listeners just kind of a little bit about your life, um, growing up, and, uh, and sort of what, you know, steered your path? 
Right. So, um, you know, I had a lot of influence in my life and, and a lot of things, experiences through life that made me who I am today. Um, I was born out of war. I was, uh, my story of childhood is one of war. I was born during the fall of Saigon, Vietnam, and uh, we were the, uh, the South Vietnamese. So when the communist regime came in, the North Vietnamese came in, they pretty much took our, our family out in the streets and gunned us down like, uh, like animals. Uh, my uncle was part of the uh, you know, officer corps in the Navy. So like any doctrine, any Soviet doctrine-wise, if you, if you do study that, that's you know, once you take over a country, it's to take the leadership out of, out of their positions. And, and my, my uncles and family members were in, in positions of high leadership after the fall of Saigon, so they were put in education camps, which really was prison torture camps. So um, my mother um, took my brother and I, and we escaped by boat, on a wooden boat, as a refugee from Vietnam. Uh, we made our way into Indonesia, where the Indonesians stopped us. Uh, if you think about like Syria, right? Modern, modern day situations going on. Nobody wants their problems. Nobody wants the refugees in their countries. So what happened was the, the Indonesian Coast Guard stopped us, uh, anchored our boats in, drug us back out in the ocean, cut the line, and shot our, our engine, really to to leave us out there uh, to die. But somehow, by the grace of God, you know we. We got caught up in a storm and, and somehow we drift into Russian waters where a Soviet supply boat was crossing the uh, Pacific Channel uh, going to Singapore and they found a basically a wooden boat just kind of floating around out there. And significant to this whole story is that um, the Russians, the Russian ideology is what kind of took me out of my native country. But yet these are the same people that saved me. Right, so you, we can't put a name or, or, or title on a group of people. Humans are gonna be humans, you're gonna have your good humans, you're gonna have your bad humans. Um, and at that young of age, I was taught an early lesson about humanity. Mm -hmm. And one that played out through my whole life, my whole, uh, up into why I did what I did as an adult. But uh, we, we escaped um, from Vietnam, the, the Russians picked us up took us and docked us into Indonesia again. Um, and we lived in a refugee camp. My aunt married a American Special Forces officer during the war. And he was able to expedite the paperwork for us to get over to the United States. So upon arriving in the United States, we went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, which is the home of the Special Forces. And eventually my mother remarried, American, uh, married an American Special Forces Sergeant. And at eight years old, I was pretty much training in the way of the Special Forces in the backwoods of North Carolina. At a very young age, I knew this is what I wanted. Uh, I think because I equated to issues around the world and what I seen on the news. Uh, obviously I was a young boy, so I didn't, I wasn't mature enough to grasp uh, what was going on, but my father would leave. He'll come back and leave and come back. So I, I, I knew that something was going on around the world, and I just didn't know. He never talked about it. So as a young boy, I, I went to the library. I started educating myself as much as I could. There was not a lot of information on special operations. So um, I relied a lot on my neighbors because um, we, we lived around my papa who fought the... Um, who fought the war, uh, World War II, and eventually came back and started American Dream. He he started his own company, <laughs> along like a lot of other veterans back then, right? They said it's the greatest generation in World War II. Well, they are the greatest generation, not just because they fought for our country and the wives and everybody saved during the time to fight, but also they came back and they, they established the backbone of what America is today, the business, right? And that's what my my papa did. He he came back. He started uh, a company. My father, my stepfather, uh, eventually retired out of the special forces, and he he started his his company. And that kind of led me to where I am today. So when I went to the special forces, and I, I travel around twenty seven countries, um, I've been in twenty three years. And when I eventually retired, I I started my own company. So that's where I am today. 
Um, I'm the president and founder of CEO uh, Ronin Tactics, and what we do with my wife is we travel around the United States and we train local law enforcement, and military, and we also develop product lines um, that I, you know, conceived during the war. Awesome. When, when you talk about the product lines, you know, was it that you saw things that were out there that, that were lacking in your opinion, or was it that just that you had ideas for new things, or or is it just a combination of both? Well, there's, I equated two things. There's pre-war and there's war. So the pre-war days, we were trained on doctrines, we were trained on tactics and stuff like that that uh, was pre-war. So a lot of our doctrines was from Vietnam, was from Panama, um, you know, past wars like El Salvador, conflicts like that. So we learned a lot of our lessons there, right? And especially Somalia, a lot of the urban stuff. But what I quickly found out was during the phase of training pre-war, we were taking old tactics and doctrines that worked for them during their times of war, but didn't really work for us, right? So we were fighting, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, close quarters. I started off in the Philippines and uh, the jungle warfare. So a lot of this stuff I was having to figure out because equipment was failing, right? Things were failing on us. Um, things were dropping off us if we were climbing or free falling into countries. Equipment wasn't designed to perform in these these environments. Mm -hmm. So during times of war, um, you know, my father asked me, you know, son, you need to write down a journal and you need to write your deepest thoughts down a journal. And, and my journal has a lot of lessons, a lot. It's, it's more about life lessons, about lost and, and trying to understand why, why I'm doing this path, why am I walking this, this lifestyle. And uh, what I quickly found was these journals, though, not only helped me found my peace and clarity, but also it allowed me to pull from knowledge and experience during times of war that can better um, change the equipment and, and change the way we, we actually perform and fight in times of war based off on our equipment and our, our weapons and tactics so that's really where I took it from it was the 14 years of on and off war mm -hmm. and experiences of working with different units uh, within special operations is what why I came out with my own line of equipment because even though I, I left the military you still have to have a purpose mm -hmm. right and my purpose uh, all through my life was to serve that higher cause and the higher cause is to serve humanity itself and, and what I quickly found is that I'm able to take my past knowledge through war, give it to the future special operations guys or soldiers or whoever's defending our country, our, our law enforcement officers, give them that equipment, they could possibly save their lives. So, How do you, sorry Ava, how do you rectify that, what you just said, serving that higher calling, when what you really do teach is for people to defend their lives with lethal force if necessary? My, my life, if you, you, you know, you have to understand my life was combat. My life is war. I was born out of war, um, came over here in the United States. I fought racism uh, at a very young age. I even fought racism when I was in the military. Um, and then eventually I fought the longest global war in American history. It stretched me through 27 countries around the world. How do I reconcile that is it goes back to my first teaching as a child, that lesson of humanity. When, when we drift into the Russian waters and you know the Russians, who supposedly is my enemy, that ideology that took me out of my country, these people overlook that, that closed way of thinking and, and rather serve humanity and, and save a, a little boy like me and my family. So that changed my life. So I'm able to go into these countries now as an adult and I am giving back. I'm going to free and fight for those that are being oppressed because there is still slavery going on everywhere. There's still massacres, and I mean, there's so much crime and evil going on in this world. And if I can balance that, and and I'm, I understand as a child that war happens. Like it or not, war is going to happen. If I surround myself with the knowledge of warfare and study of Budo, which is the study of war then I have the tradecraft I need to survive in such hostile environments. And if I can give my community and, and, and 
and our people, our, our local, our Americans, this knowledge that, man, I'm saving lives, right? Incredible. Thank you. What made you want to join the military and fight for America? My papa, my step-grandfather, and my, my stepfather, and also my uncle. My uncle was a, a retired colonel within Special Forces. My father was the Special Forces, and my uh, papa fought in World War II. So it's, it's a long line of American history, and, and plus I come from a bloodline of uh, if you think about my native my native bloodline, which is Vietnamese, I do come from a bloodline of warriors that have defended and fought against the, the, the Mongol invasions into Vietnam. So I do have the, the warrior bloodline. It is within my, um, I mean, it's, it, it pumps within me. So I have to, to do what I, I feel like I was born to do and to serve the higher purpose. So my father and my grandfather had a lot to do with it and the love for my country. And my God had a lot to do why I, I chose to serve. And um, at what point in your life did you realize what your purpose in life was? And can you tell us exactly what that purpose is? You know, Mark Twain said uh, the two most important days in your life is the day you're born mm-hmm. and the day that you found out why you're born, your purpose. Um, I think I found my purpose when I first came to the A-teams in uh, Okinawa, Japan. And one of my first missions was to go into Laos and perform demining operations. And it was really weird. I, I, I came in, we touched down on a Hilo, and um, I had a, a Terp, my, my Terp came up to me, and uh, we were talking about how we were going to plan on training the villagers how to demine this minefield. All right, so imagine like during the war, we dropped millions of bombs all through Asia. Well, these kids nowadays are playing around in these rice paddy fields and the jungles, and they're getting, you know, blown up. They're dying because of it. So if, if we as American Special Forces can go in, teach the local villagers on how to disarm these mines that we dropped in during the war, and, and I tell you, Ava, that when you go in these villages, you actually see the kids and you see the amputees, that resonates real to mm-hmm. you, right? Everything's surreal until you actually see it. Mm-hmm. And and I tell you, that's that's one of the reasons why I, I went to the Green Berets because we we have that type of mission. You know, it's not just direct action, kicking indoors. Yeah, we do that in times of war. But also after the war, after the bombs are dropped and the bullets are, are thrown, who's gonna rebuild that country? Mm-hmm. Who's going to give those kids hope again? And and that's what we did, you know, as, as Green Berets. So just uh, quickly, a question that we ask everyone is, what are the most challenging, um, discouraging, rewarding, and inspiring parts of your chosen profession? We'll start with uh, challenging. And, and we'll say after your military career, we'll say with Ronin Tactics. What is the most challenging thing that you find? Peace. Finding peace is, is the hardest um, thing to do after you've seen too much, right? So what is too much? I don't know what is too much. Everybody has their their breaking point. Um, mine was 14 years of it. And after 14 years, then it the war caught up with me. So finding a place, finding that sense of peace, right? And, and how, for me, it's a little bit different because I was born in war. My whole life was war. Right. So how do you find peace? And um, I find peace by, sur- you know, my serenity, my peace is 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 to balance the, the violent side of, of Ronin. Right. So there is a fire side of Ronin. There's obviously the war side, but there should be a peace side. And that's the water side of Ronin, which I'm trying to um, trying to bring more in my life. Right, so trying to bring out more of the um, the deeper spiritual understanding of why the path was the way it was for me. Right, so if I can able to understand that and master that, then as a human being, then I can give the humanity side of my teaching. About the most discouraging thing. Well, during my um, my times in the service, obviously we we are government property right we are like they 
they view us uh, within special operations as a multi-purpose tool, right? That's all you are. You're just a tool to get things done, all right? So if the country needs you to overthrow a government, you're going to go in there and you're going to overthrow the government. You're going to listen to what your president and your country has to say. Well, within these confined uh, rules of engagement, you know, you see other things like rebel forces coming in and and killing women and children. You're seeing crimes going on in these countries and you can't do anything about it because you are a multi-purpose tool for that country and that's not your orders. So as a human being, that took a lot out of me, you know, not being able to affect the change I wanted to because that didn't fall underneath um, our government's objectives. Rewarding? Changing lives. I, I can tell you right now that, you know, I've been in 27 countries and I have freed slavery. I have given people hope. I've built schools. Um, we have fought in taking, taking um, terrorist regimes out um, that if they dictated their... Um, they're threatening this group of people. If they're going in and murdering this neighborhood, we're able to go in and, and free those oppressed. We're able to stop these rebel groups or terrorist organizations from coming in and, and taking out this this tribe just because they didn't respect their religion. You mm-hmm. know, so we we had a lot um, to do with that. And I say that's the most rewarding is when I gave people hope when there was no hope. And I, and I tell you, man, when you go into countries, there are certain situations where you see there's no hope. You know, you could feel it. It's only evil in that area, you know, and um, and you see it in their faces. But, man, if you're able to give them that sense of hope and may make a change and affect that country, and that's what it's all about. Fast forward to today. What's the most rewarding thing about what you do? For Ronan is to to go around and, and spread my knowledge, to I feel like a person with one voice, a voice that's strong, confident, with experience, can change the world. Right. So, I'm I'm trying to be that change. I'm trying to be that voice. I'm trying to give others that don't have the experience um, to maybe defend their loved ones like they should. Um, I'm trying to give them that experience, and and also not just give them that physical experience that physical uh, teachings of lethality but you also need to understand it's like it's like Ava if I give you a gun right you could take that gun you know what it can do and you can go out and you can abuse it or you can be the responsible American abiding citizen and understand the lethality behind that weapon and understand how to use it for the good and Mm -hmm. protection of humans right so it's the same thing with my teachings and strategies and tactics you know, I don't want to teach anybody that's going to cause harm to the innocent. I'd rather teach the innocent so they can protect themselves. And so it continues on the path of Bushido, the path of the way of the war. And finally, what inspires you? The teachings. Um, first, there's there's multiple things that inspire me. But the teachings inspire me. When I say the teachings, is the teachings of, uh, I'm a big Eastern philosophy guy, so the teachings of philosophy, as in um, fluidity, as in you know the martial way of doing things, to to not be selfish in one's objectives and lives, but affect others and help others as much as you can. That's the most rewarding thing, and and where I draw my my inspiration, obviously from my family, right, my father who influenced me a lot. Also, right now, my wife. You know, she she influenced me. She helped me get through my hard times. And uh, definitely without her and family, there won't be a Ronin. Um, Speaking of your hard times, so you served for 22 years, correct? Yes. And then once you retired, um, I I read an interview that you did and you said that um, eventually, you know, depression caught up with you and... Um, doctors, they prescribed you medication, but you quickly realized that medication just kind of made you seem, uh, it sort of lost, it made you lose your humanity. Can you tell us a little bit about that period and 
what would you recommend for everyone who, you know, has served time or even if they haven't served time, if they are, uh, possibly, you know, experiencing, uh, PTSD, how, like what you would recommend to kind of overcome that? Well, first we have to accept PTSD, right? We, we had to realize that that that's a real issue. Mm-hmm. That's a real issue. Um, and it's not, you know, I, I feel through my teachings and my life experience, um, there's so many times in my life that I cheated death many times. So I, I feel like I had the character of a strong person. Uh, I fought the war for 14 years. I felt like I had what it take, what it took to serve my country and not uh, reap the aftermath of war. Mm-hmm. What I quickly found was, um, I would say about four years ago, you know, after fighting for so long, I think I was at my 13 or 14 year mark in the war, um, it started catching up to me. You know, so it will catch up. You just have to understand the signs and the symptoms. As a you know, sniper in the special forces, we, we plan, we're able to, to see signs and symptoms. Um, so imagine we go in a country, I have to be able to evaluate the situation and give a snapshot to the commander. Well, if you can't do that as a soldier, evaluate who you are as an individual, because that's, nobody knows you, but you, right? Mm -hmm. So my whole life was starting to fall apart. And I, I equate that to the medication I was under, you know, I, I, have been in a few um, firefights and and in combat and during that time I have been injured multiple times and what they do is when you are a needed asset a needed multi-purpose tool in the war they're gonna put you back in that war because you they train you and and when they train you at a high level you better believe you're gonna go against harder targets so they're going to give you the medication or whatever you need, like any professional athlete, to keep you in the game. Now, I'm not bad-mouthing the military. The military's done great things. I think there um, they're are great doctors out there in the military. But I feel like sometimes um, the medical practice is um, it's not conducted right. Mm-hmm. As in, if, if I hurt my leg, right, you're going to give me painkillers. Well, those painkillers will only work for a certain set amount of time. So let's say as a A-team guy, you give me painkillers, my knee pain is gone, I'm gonna free fall, I'm gonna free fall back in that country, I'm gonna perform. Well, now your, your knee and your legs are, are, are getting worse. You're just blocking out that pain receptor. So in the end, you're gonna lose. So let's talk about depression or TBI because you know dramatic brain injuries is a common issue with veterans. What I what I found out with with um, PTSD is that it actually releases chemicals in your brain, and it actually uh, could be worse than TBI, as in you'll forget you'll forget things. You'll go into a state of depression. You'll go into all this. Well, if you're blocking out all these endorphins that are getting released, then how can you, as a human being, as a human being? Learn from from the past. Learn from your past experiences and make a difference when you numb your whole life out. Life was not meant to be numbed out. It was life. It was meant to be experienced and learned, and to give back by your teachings. How can I teach when I numb out my whole life? So one morning I um, I looked through my medicine cabinet and it was it was just full of antidepressants and. Uh, migraine medicine whatever they had me on it was it was it, the whole cabinet was full sounds like my cabinet yeah <laughs> yeah and then um and i was at a really bad state in my life so i dumped it all down the toilet um, i meditated on it and uh it took me three four months of stomach pains and and finally winged my body off of it but i am complete control of my life again and that's necessary. And to, to my fellow veterans out there, this is necessary. You know, it is, guys. And drinking and drugs, um, those are just going to mass it for a very short time. 
but eventually you're going to need more and more and more and it's going to take over your life and it's going to consume your life so this is a necessary step so then what would you say um you said like meditation helped you but what other what other advice would you give people that are suffering from ptsd to overcome that find a purpose so imagine Ava, if you didn't have a purpose and a direction in life what would you do Mm -hmm. right why would you get up in the morning why would you start these video podcasts right because you're trying to make a change and you're trying to have a purpose but if you don't have that purpose then where are you going to go right so as a veteran right he they had purpose for so long a direction Mm -hmm. either as war or advancing their family their life but after they get out man you can quickly become lost if you don't have a purpose but that's that's not, that's not the military that's that's life itself man you're right that's anything mm-hmm. right so first i say hey you have to have a purpose if you're relying on chemical ingredients right into your body to try to mask a uh, emotion or try to change a, a mood well that's just a temporary fix and depending on what medication you're on that can cause severe damages to your body later on right and you can quickly become an addict and I, I tell you what guys I mean during the phase of the war I I took the necessary painkillers so I could still fight so I could still go overseas and fight and during that process eventually I became an addict you you can't help it that's that's the path because what works one time well you're gonna have to take three or four pills later on for that same result and that's just an ingredient for failure. Would you say, you say have a purpose and have a path and how important that is, but it sounds to me like the first thing you did was that you made a choice. Would you say that that's a fair representation? Mindset, right? Yeah. So as as a Ronin, I could teach you the arts of war. I could teach you philosophies and my experience in life. Man, I can't teach you mindset, right? So my mindset that day was at that moment, if I didn't make that decision to dump the medications in the toilet, if I didn't make that decision that I wanted to change to be a better person for for my wife, for my family, then I would have failed, right? You have to have the mindset, like you said, you have to make that decision and you have to stay with it, that course, right? Yeah. You said as a Ronin, can you tell us what a Ronin is and how that became uh, something that represented yourself your company and your path so the dark times did the, the depression and, and you know I I don't want to get into it too much everybody faces their depression differently I could tell you that it was very hard for me because I'm a very positive and active person it was like hitting a wall it took the wind out of me and um, all I saw was darkness and haze it was like walking through a fog right how did I navigate through the depression was I revisited what made me who I was in the first place, right? So what made me who I was in the first place was looking at guys like my father, my papa, my uncle, who were these great Americans who made a difference and they had this, this purpose, right? But somehow I lost my purpose through the war. I lost my way, right? So how do you find your way back? You had to reinvent yourself. Right. So through the, ho- the the fog, the haze, the darkness, I came out as Ronin. So, so Ronin, how it ties into Eastern uh, history, is that a Ronin is a masterless samurai. Right? So samurai serves his, his uh, don, his, his emperor, his shogun. Right? And at any moment, he's willing to take his life in essence of Bushido. Right? The teachings of Bushido, where Bushido is the readily acceptance of death. And I know what people are like, that's crazy. But you have to. In in the warrior class, when you put yourself on the battlefield and you, you're you going against the enemy, you must fight like you already died. You, you can't have any ties to your family, your commitment and love to your country. And it, when I say love to your country, as in I, I miss this lifestyle. You, you must let it go, right, and fight the higher purpose. You see what I'm saying? The higher cause. So when you when you seen the edge, when you when you seen the 
the fine line between life and death, how do you go back and be normal? You have to find your serenity. In my serenity, my, my serenity was through philosophy, poetry. I got back into education, uh, family, right? And I balanced that, that, that violent life that I had for so long, that, that, that life fire, I balanced it out with serenity. And my serenity was through Ronin, and Ronin is a masterless warrior, master of samurai. For so long, for 22.9 years, I served that God and country, my, my country, and I fought for other people. Well, I served a higher purpose. My, my Lord was my commander, my unit, my God, my country. So when you step away and I don't have that commander anymore, that unit, then now I am an individual. Now I'm an individual warrior and now I am Ronin. I am masterless, I'm a drifter. And I will walk this earth like the past Ronins before me and I will give back my life teachings of Bushido to the ones that seek the path. Tell us some of the classes that you offer for Mona Tactics for, uh, we'll say, civilians. Uh, civilian classes, I, I try to keep it towards what they would uh, encounter daily, right? So civilians don't really need to know how to free flow through a house on a five-man assault, you know, assault team. Um, but they do need to know how to defend themselves and their family in case somebody breaks into the house. The fundamentals are all the same, right? It's just my teaching approach is different. So I teach um, civilian CQB courses, veering towards more of a home protection, right? Uh, I teach uh, personal protection. So if somebody's following you, how do you employ the mechanics of time, distance, and change of direction to pull them out of the crowd? Uh, I teach lethality, side of the house, which hand-to-hand, uh, -hand, knife fighting, pistol, carbine, you know, and, and I teach a lot of strategy, a lot of tactics. Because once you understand weapons, then you need to understand strategy, right? So you need to maximize that weapons capability. You need to maximize cover and concealment. You need to maximize your advantage of moving under fire or moving to a cover and concealed position, right? So it, it goes into the end state. It's not just firearms training that you, you hang out and you learn safety. There is a, a there's a, a path that I want to bring my students to. The path is the true application of lethality, you know, and when and when to use it maturely, know when to use it, right? So, so I, I teach a lot of things, and and like I said, I, I do draw a line in the sand between what I teach civilians and what I teach military and law enforcement. Military and law enforcement, they're more strategy based, mm -hmm. right? They're more strategy based team base type of concepts and tactics that work for us overseas. Savannah's are more individual concepts because think about it, you're, you're probably alone majority of the time, right? Mm -hmm. Right? When you're walking in your car, you're working about your day activity, unless you're married. Yeah. Right? But and, even if you're And married, I'm looking, so if you know anybody. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, and we got a lot of SF guys out there who are single. <laughs> so, so, but um, yeah, I'm alone most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, so he's just letting you know Ava is single. So, um, but yeah, that's that's how I I uh, approach things. I approach things, uh, and I, I evaluate people's life, and I approach their most probable course of action, how they're going to use this this tactic, and their most dangerous course of action um, on how they need to plan to employ these type of tactics. Right. So, it, it goes deeper than just tactics and and safety on a weapon goes into strategy I completely agree I think that's excellent uh, getting off topic a little bit how did you meet your wife Ruthie <laughs> so I was 25 at the time I was going through um, counterterrorist training at Fort Bragg North Carolina I was I was actually stationed in uh, Okinawa Japan and uh, during that phase of my life during my young 20s because I, I got to the A teams at 21 during that phase before the war, uh, they sent me through a lot of training. You know, so we had to do a lot of survival type of training, evasion, resistance, uh, and I went to sniper assault school. So I, I went through a lot of this training prior to the war. And one of the training was 
we, we call it Sephardic, which is counterterrorist training, to be in a specialized unit within special forces. But that's where I met her. I, uh, I was actually flying to go see my brother, um, Mary, and my brother's a doctor out in Alaska. He was getting married in Ohio, and my father, uh, this is pre-war, my father asked me to go and uh, go to my brother's wedding, but I really didn't want to because, you know, when you're in your young 20s, you just have a lot of stupid stuff to do, right? So, mm-hmm. but I, I value my father, and I end up going, and then that's where I met Ruthie. So he must have seen a bigger picture for me. And how does she play a role with your business? Uh, she she is the business. She is the business side of Ronan. When I say that is, I'm the face of Ronan. I'm. Uh, I mean, she has a prettier face. Yeah, I think you got to. I think you got to rethink your strategy. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But I'm I'm more of the experienced side of the house, right? So I I teach. Uh, I give the teachings of Budo, the study of war. Um, but and I, I do the project development. But she is when I say she is Ronan, that means she handles the the business side aspect of Ronan, right? The the distribution. Uh, she talks to clients. She coordinates training. There's there's no way that I could do any of it without her. She is seriously, guys. She is the backbone of Ronan. And anybody who has worked with us. Um, talk very highly of Ruthie because she makes sure our, our clients are taken care of especially our military I don't know how many times she had me link up with guys within 10 special forces group that were deploying within the next day or two because she know that they needed this equipment she she made sure that they got it in their hands before these war fighters go to war so um, like I said guys you know she she is she is Ronan and how long have you guys been married for uh, 16 years. Wow. Yeah. So we've been together. She's been there through the war. Uh, she's been there before the war. I and mean, she's been there after the war. She, she takes care of me. She is definitely uh, my manager. Yeah. So I've been, uh, I follow you on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and I've been seeing a lot of pictures with you and Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I think it's more <laughs> Dwayne is, is why you see the picture. He's he's such a, um amazing uh, actor and a human being uh, on top of that. But the, the reason why we met him is, uh, you know, we were tied into the security world. And um, we know a lot of friends that's in the security world that protects guys like uh, Dwayne and, and other uh, talented actors and singers and performers. So we're, we're able to get in there and see things, and through one of our friends um, that wanted to meet me, I never met him, he brought me on set with uh, Dwayne, which was on set of Ballers. And at that time, I was uh, filming a, a show um, where I would have to deal with uh, past victims that were assaulted um, and going through a really hard times. so I, would, I was doing this show and I was helping them out I was giving them the skill sets they needed to survive so when I met Dwayne I, I wanted I asked him to to do a shout out to these victims so he can give them hope and that's what he did he supported us and he gave a shout out to the victims and that just that just uh, speaks volumes of of that person's character right that he's able to to reach out to these victims and, and, and try to help them give them words of encouragement yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, Sean, do you have any other questions or should we? No, I think I've had enough inspiration for today. I know. I'm really inspired. I'm ready to conquer the world. I know. <laughs> uh, but can you conquer the world when you have a SIG? It's time for prank, 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 prank. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on right there. With Malcolm and Gertrude. Honey! <laughs> Here we go. This. Do you want to set this up at all? Or Do I want to set this yeah, up? Do uh, you want to set this not, up? Not really. I think we should just <laughs> let everyone listen to it because there's just... There's no intro needed, I don't think. <laughs> Thank you for calling Sig Sauer. 
Sauer of Pulse speaking. How can I help? Uh, hello there, Mr. Sauer. I was just calling today because I found out about the, something about a recall about dropping a gun. And uh, oh, excuse me. Um, uh, so, uh, the, which gun? Which gun is it that, that when you drop it, that there's problems? Like I, I don't really know. My my grandson. Uh, Henry told me about this, and I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Well, I mean, I think what you're referring to is, you know, we do have a voluntary upgrade for a P320. Um, you know, it it's certainly a safe firearm, and, you know, it's passed drop testing from numerous organizations. But, you know, it's kind of when you go beyond its normal use that you encounter problems. You know, I guess there was a bunch of YouTube videos of people, like, literally hitting them with hammers and stuff. And, um you know, that's kind of what caused an unsafe condition. Well, that, that's that's um, so, ridiculous. I would never use a hammer to hit my gun anyway. It just doesn't make oh. sense to me, Mr. Sauer. Um, the, the, the real question that I have is if I have oh, excuse me, I have Parkinson's disease, and I'm, I, I constantly drop everything. So I'm just wondering, like, uh, you know, you say normal use, and your normal use might be different from my normal use because obviously with the Parkinson's sometimes, you know, when I'm trying to practice, I, I do drop the gun. Uh, like, do you think that I should take part of the normal voluntary uh, re retrograde uh, that you were talking about there? Well, honestly, I mean, it's uh, certainly a free program. So, I mean, if you do want to register for it, you certainly can. Um, you know, with that being said, I mean, there's no firearm out there that it is advised to drop while it's loaded. You know, um, obviously, understand that there's you know certain conditions that you know you, you can't really uh, you know help or you know get around it and you know things do happen one way or another but uh well i i, I do understand that but are you saying that uh, that you recommend that i don't use a firearm because of my disability no i'm not saying that i mean it's safe to fire and it's passed the drop testing from numerous organizations so i mean it's certainly safe for you to use um but i'm just saying you know it's never advised to drop a loaded firearm like intentionally or anything like that well obviously. i would never um, do it intentionally obviously but with the parkinson's disease excuse me the parkinson's disease i really uh, you know it's not, like not really up to me it's just sometimes i drop the gun and that that just that's what happens i've been kicked out of every range in my locality but now if i'm being told that my disability would preclude me from saving my life one day i just i don't really know so the the, the two, 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 six, that that's the one that i probably shouldn't use um no it was the 320 is the one that we have the voluntary upgrade on uh, okay mr sal have you ever hit the 226 with the hammer and seen what that does i have never <laughs> hit any of my firearms with a hammer oh i thought you said that was the way you guys test them no, no, no. That's uh, kind of where this entire thing came from is people on YouTube testing them in, in such a manner. And that's kind of what caused people to be, uh, you know, so concerned, I suppose. Um, you know, but as long as you're using the firearm in a, a normal manner and, you know, it, it should be perfectly fine. Well, you know, if. Uh, yeah, I guess I just don't understand what a normal man is because for me, you should see me eat the cereal. It's like a freaking sprinkler is going off. I. Um, so if I drop the gun, it's probably not a great idea. Now, uh, like, what, do you know of another gun maybe that might be a little bit more safe for me since I have the Parkinson's and I'm constantly dropping everything? Um, well, I mean, that's tough because, you know, like I said, I, no gun should ever be dropped while it's, you know, fully loaded. But I feel like that's, you know, very against the Americans with Disabilities Act. Well, I mean, I'm just saying safety wise. I mean, we need to, you know, give you full disclosure. I mean, we can't ever say that it, that's a safe way to use a firearm and you know whether you could help it or not i mean it's you know just not something that i would ever recommend yeah i'm just trying uh, to figure out what would probably be best for me because you know like i obviously like kung fu's out of the question god help me if you give me a knife i don't even know what's going to happen so like gun was like kind of my last my last bet and it sounds to me like you're telling me that maybe that's probably not safe for someone with parkinson's to use a six hour no i mean what would probably make the most sense for you and you know taking safety into consideration is to put a lanyard on your firearm you know um that way you know it doesn't impact on the ground or anything like that so um that, that, you know, that is something that you could do to that would help you shooting with your parkinson's disease that, that, now, that's some great advice, Mr. Sal. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a lanyard. I'll put it on the 226, and then I think everything will be okay. You, that, That's 100%. That's uh, that's all I really needed to know. That's excellent, excellent advice. Thank you so much. Hey, no problem. All right. Have a great day, Mr. Sawa. You as well. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, <laughs> can I just say that I've actually never felt like more of an idiot after that <laughs> interview and then playing that prank call. I was kind of thinking the same. I was, I like, was this like, this is just so awkward, yeah, Sean. You should be ashamed of I yourself. I really am ashamed of myself, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I do have to say, um, six customer service is pretty, you know. Yeah, no, he was good. And he, honestly, at Lanyard, that's a legitimate solution to the problem that I was having. 
Yeah, I mean, forget about well, who's that guy with the big clock on his uh, on his necklace? Flava Flav. Yeah, you could. Yeah, I mean, you could up him. Yeah, up a little bit <laughs> and, and have a three twenty on a gold chain. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get rid of my embarrassment here and start talking about some gear. <laughs> Tactic Talk, discussing popular guns and gear. Love it, hate it, find out now. So, too, you have an awesome gun sitting right here next to me, which I um, can't keep my eyes off of. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about? Your firearm and the uh, the belts, the TF belts and stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, this is a 1911 I was working on uh, with Triarch Systems. Um, Triarch System is a company out in um, Dallas, Texas, and we linked up with them in one of our training um, seminars. And basically, they they came out and they wanted to start making Ronin signature firearms. The 1911 had uh, a lot of history and meaning uh, for me in in the military because when I first came to the Special Forces uh, SIF team, which is uh, direct action uh, type of teams, we ran 1911s. I ran in 1911 uh, in the Philippines, uh, ran in 1911 in the Philippines, and um, we used it over in Iraq uh, for a little bit before we went to the Glock 22s. So. Uh, one of the first pistols I wanted to release was a Ronin uh, signature 1911 that, that had a lot of uh, history and how that ties into to my culture. Uh, I also have, you know, Glock, um, you know, uh, Ronin Glocks coming out by Triarch. We have AR platforms um, that, that they also make. So we also uh, came out with our, our Ronin style type of blade all right so this is one of the blades that I teach this is actually made in Italy by uh, one of my friends and it's made out of tungsten carbine so tungsten carbine is the, the material they use to cut diamonds all right this thing is extremely sharp you can feel it's really heavy I'm afraid to drop it yeah that thing's super dangerous and uh, but I designed that one of these blades um, out of war so we needed a blade that was really fast, concealable, that I was able to wear underneath uh, a suit um, when I worked at, you know, doing uh, personal protection details. And also something that I can also carry into uh, combat. It has a ring uh, type of uh, uh, blade, so it's made to strike, it's made to cut, it's made to pierce, and also it's made to to also be able to grab things and move things out of way with the ring still binding your hands. So really popular, the, the ring stuff is, uh, the ring blade concept is really popular with Ronin because we we don't just supply you with the weapon, we teach you the methodology behind it and history behind it and then you take it and you adapt it to your life, you know, and what you need. Um, so the, the belts, so a lot of these belts now, so this belt is the Task Force uh, Multicam Coyote color. I actually made this for the Team SIF guys um, because they were asking for this unique color, right? So uh, all the SEAL teams are running it now, the, the Air Force Special Operations and all the direct action um, Special Forces um, groups are wearing it. So within the special force you got the SIF companies they're 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 utilizing our belts now this belt actually came out of iraq so during my time in iraq i would wear different type of issue belts the problem that we had was a lot of these belts were conceived on a flat range they were developed during times of peace so during times of war when i was climbing um we would climb buildings and isolate uh, certain targets um, contain and isolate and by the time I would climb one building to get onto a rooftop my base of my pistol is underneath my you know my armpit because it moves so much right during free fall stuff it moves so much so I came out with this concept and and really I took the concept from like an NRA belt right so if you think about NRA belt it has two layers so if you think right here this inner belt
this inner belt here actually goes into your belt loop, right? And then your, your tactical low-bearing belt goes outside. This With this Cobra belt buckle and this D-ring shackle, it actually holds up to 8,000 pounds, mm. right? So keeping keeping the guys in the helicopters or if they're, they're climbing, they're hoisting equipment or whatever. Uh, I don't recommend it for repelling because there's no repel uh, strap to it. But we definitely have lowered some um, some cruiser weapons. Uh, we, you know, hoist some stuff up ladders and stuff utilizing these D-rings. Um, and the guys are using overseas along with our agencies and uh, law enforcement officers that's protecting our borders. So the, the belt's definitely taken off. Um, and like I said, that's just like one of the equipments that I produced in time of war and now the guys are using it overseas and it's, it's working. So I'm really happy with the task force belts and, and you can you can get these belts on our website at uh, ronintactus.com. And what do they retail for? Uh, we have three three level belts. So we have our shooter's belt. So the shooter's belt is really made uh, with the same type of uh, weave material, but the problem is it doesn't have uh, the D-ring shackle, right? So a lot of what I found was my civilian shooters or even law enforcement, they don't need to shackle themselves onto a helicopter, right? So this was more of a special operations command or JSOC requirement that we're uh, for, for the guys overseas, the team guys, they have to be able to shackle themselves into helicopters because we gun from the sky to a helicopter. But the thing is that civilians don't need it, so they I went with a, uh, just a regular uh, Cobra belt buckle, all right? And that's around 135. And then we have our medium grade uh, warrior's belt, which is like um, the, the middle, middle line, mm -hmm. but it's more of a tactical belt. And it has this D-ring shackle, right? And then we have our top line, which is the weave material. So the weave material, I, work, I had to work with uh, a manufacturing company on, on weaving a multicam or solid color material and reinforcing that material where it forms that really stiff like gun belt stiffness you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. that gun belt stiffness so it keeps everything in place and tell you the truth ava the, the task force belts and the senji are top line belts they're our best sellers um, by far and uh, we're in the process of you know phasing out our warriors belt which is our middle line belt and just go with the task force because it's uh it's it's doing its job overseas nice Very and then cool. what about the knives and the firearms what do um what do those retail for so the firearms it uh if you log on to triarch systems triarch systems um they have um a line of ronin signature weapons so from there you have your ar platforms you have your ar pistols uh 1911 glocks so you see the whole family of ronin uh, weapons and eventually we're going to make shotguns and, and uh, tactical shotguns and getting to precision rifles and stuff like that but uh, yeah if you log on there's just different price ranges on different weapons and just log on there and, uh, and check out their their pricing but they they're actually having a, um, a store grand opening this weekend out in Dallas Texas congratulations guys at Triarch that's awesome um, and like I said they're they're opening up their grand score I'm really happy for them and uh, I wish them the best in, uh, in their store success. And it looks like a pre-order uh, Ronin Glock 17. Yeah, yeah. So those are the Glocks. Those are our Glocks um, that we're that, that we're designing. So a lot of the stuff that um, that I had Triarch, I work with Triarch is it's really manipulating uh, angles and pitches of the Glock, mm -hmm. so it makes it shoot flatter like a 1911. Uh, we'll, we'll cut out springs, we'll change some tolerances to make it faster, cycle, physically cycle faster. It's more like a, imagine a, a race car mm -hmm. in a tactical uh, platform. Very cool. Yeah, I love the look of all this stuff, and but even more so, I love the purpose-driven requirements for it. I think that's so important, and you know, I think, so online today there's there's just so much so many products out there and some of them are invented by people who've never actually had to use them in a, in a stressful situation or something like that but i think that everything that you're talking about here you know it all comes from that position of experience from the guy who like you said jungle warfare to you know the global war on terror and things like that so it's actually yeah. really cool stuff and i mean just just talking about the blade you know like a lot of my friends that uh we i mean the blade guys are like, hey don't bring a um 
a blade to a gunfight. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you guys, we we've been in gunfights. You know, we've been in close quarter gunfights, and I tell you, you you definitely need a blade, right? And not just not just a blade for taking life, right? A blade to not just to protect you. But what happened if a, a vehicle flips over, right? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to cut that seatbelt out, or how are you going to jettison the equipment if it gets snagged on something, right? So you have to know where the the cutting mechanism is on your kit, how to quickly get to it, right? And also, let's let's talk about taking life, though. Let's talk about that. When you cut somebody, what happens? That the blood is very slippery, right? Very slippery. One of the most slippery things you probably feel, right? But that's why we have the ring, right? So the ring, once it binds with it, it reduces... It reduces if you don't have a ring and when you stab let's say a bone right right what happens slide is down the it blade can slide down the blade and it can cut your your hands which I've seen it mm-hmm. seen it multiple times even like our engineering of how the sheath comes out of the the blade you know the blade comes out of the sheath or resheathing the blade and it's thought out because mm-hmm. guys have cut themselves putting the, the blade back in the sheath I mean that adrenaline is jacked to the roof when when you're fighting for your life. So, we definitely want to put these instruments in our warfighters' hands, so they can effectively defend our country. You know, and fight for you know defend their lives. So, that's why we bring a lot of these in. This is the the Ronin Tanta Ring Blade. Um, I have shot with this in my hands. I have shot with it in my hands. Um, it, it works. Um, it's very proficient, and you can. It's available on our website at RoninTactics.com. I have to ask: Are you familiar with the Voda Consulting guy? No. All right, so he's a guy that came <laughs> out, and uh, he's he does a lot of knife in one hand, gun in the other hand. Can you talk to us about deploying, uh, you know, multiple weapons like a firearm and a knife, and it, how is that useful to you, and how do you actually use it effectively for someone who has some experience with it? Well, we get it without getting into much tactics. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're conducting a direct action assault on a on a, a target, and let's say you're in a neighborhood in the middle of Baghdad, and the first shots fired, you, we call it go loud. So basically, the neighborhood could possibly wake up and shoot at you, right? So what we quickly found out was suppressors and blades and things that keep things quiet. And, and allow us to do our jobs uh, while still keeping everything quiet is is what allowed us to live really because mm-hmm. if the neighborhood wakes up then it could be a bad day for, for us all so a lot of these blades and stuff were employed pre-gun but when I say that is we want to keep the element of surprise down versus go loud right, right. so don't get into the mindset of I'm employing my gun and blade at the same time, right? I'm employing my blade to keep the element surprise down, but if I need to go loud, you're ready. Then we will, and once we go loud, it gets pretty violent. Yeah. So we we don't want to go loud unless we have to. So that's where the blade my my methodology behind the blade is the blade allows you to keep things quiet unless you need to go loud and also you need a blade on you to to cut things loose in case you get snagged or or even save your teammate's life but if he gets shot you need to be able to cut open his uniform to see where's the exit mm-hmm. right so a blade is is critical Makes sense you know in a gunfight all right well um, we really appreciate you um, talking with us today. You're definitely very interesting. Um, let's see. Shall we wrap up, Sean? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I, and honestly, it really was inspiring. Uh, you know, definitely. I honestly can't wait to come train with you. Um, Thank you. I heard about you. Obviously, we live in the same town. Yeah. So it's always, you know, running tactics is spoke of in hushed whispers. And now I understand why. I got the. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. It. Wrapping up. So uh, I'm excited to announce that we now have a Patreon page. And if you guys are interested in becoming a Patreon, just go to gunfunny.com. You can register, you can pledge a dollar, you can pledge, uh, I think it goes all the way up to maybe $50. And in that case, you would be a guest on the show. Um, But it's, you know, we also created a Facebook only group for our Patreons, uh, Snapchat, 
Um, you get uh, limited edition apparel. So um, check those out if you guys are interested. Uh, gunfunny.com and just click on become a Patreon. We're also available on Facebook and inter- Instagram at Gunfunny Show. Um, and if you guys have anything else, just uh, you know, feel free to message us uh, message us on our uh, on our website. Um, also, leave a iTunes review. We got our first iTunes review recently, and we'd love to hear what you guys think. Yep, it definitely helps. Uh, if you, if you leave an iTunes review, it helps people find the show. It helps the show. Uh, you know, hit iTunes algorithms and just uh, show up to more people so more people can see what we're doing and hear amazing interviews like we just had with Tulane from Ronin Tactics. Once again, that's ronintactics.com. That's where they can find all your good stuff, right? That's right. And all the social media ever. Uh, just search for Ronin Tactics. I guarantee you will not regret that decision. Um, let's talk one more time real quick about Hunt Tag Gear and how that code is GUNFUNNY10. You can order lots of stuff, hunting stuff. Uh, rifles, parts, things like that. Anything you need over at uh, HuntTagGear.com. Ava, why don't you walk us out here? All right. Well, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>